It's a great pre-show, if you will, for the New Hampshire primaries. We start off with uh, Ron DeSantis and all the people that are saying, what did he do wrong? Uh, How come he didn't do better? I think we have the answer, and it's not one that you're going to hear really elsewhere. We also talk about the economy, what's coming in the economy, what the banking sector is doing along with the Fed to really speed up the process of de-dollarization all around the uh, country. But also, um, we tell you two stories that are unbelievable that came from this audience. Two things that have really put us at the verge of saying checkmate to ESG and all of that. Another story came out of Florida that we uh, are going to report on on today's uh, podcast. You don't want to miss a second of today's podcast. It's all happening in 60 seconds. First, Terry wrote in about his experience with Relief Factor. He said, I struggled with pain for quite a while from my lower back up and down my legs. I had heard about Relief Factor, decided to give it a try, and within a couple of weeks, I was totally pain-free. It is incredible to me how many people I have told about Relief Factor. It's just made such a huge difference in my life, and I think it could help others. So I tell them, thank you, Relief Factor. Thank you for writing in and trying it. Now, his experience is not everybody's experience, um, but 70% of the people who try Relief Factor for their three-week quick start go on to order more month after month. See how Relief Factor can help you with their three-week quick start kit. It's $19.95, and it comes with Relief Factor's Feel Better or Your Money Back Guarantee. So give it a try. Visit relieffactor.com or call 800-the-number-4-relief. 800-the-number-4-relief. relieffactor.com. When you feel the difference, you know it works. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. So, apparently, not everybody agrees with us on uh, Nikki Haley. There is uh, one person, and I know who they are, but they left this. They left this note on my uh, desk: uh, "True Confessions of an Underground Nikki Haley Supporter." Uh, <laughs> he wrote. I'm writing this from a secure and heavily guarded location. I'm under 24-7 monitoring and protection, kind of like Epstein. But I'm actually being cared for. There's a lot of debate within the conservative party, but unlike the Democratic Party, the Republican Party typically open is, opening, is open to differing ideas, unless you're a Nikki Haley supporter. Apparently, then straight to the gulag with you. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much, mm. right? I mean, is that no, Um, I'm willing I'm writing this anonymously to save my family from embarrassment and ridicule. (laughs) My name is John Doe and I am a Nikki Haley supporter. Let me explain before you dox me. People say Nikki is a Democrat. Well, do you know who else was a Democrat up until five minutes ago? The right's favorite loudmouth, Vivek Ramaswamy. <laughs> Donald Trump was notorious hanging around the Democratic circles before switching over to the right. And iconic Republican President Ronald Reagan was on the left side as well. So Nikki is in good company. Well, no, there's actually, I mean, if you look at the examples you gave, they all started on the left and then they moved right. <laughs> Where Nikki, well, I don't need to. Being a Nikki Haley supporter is being like a Dallas Cowboys fan. 
everybody hates her for every reasonable reason imaginable. You can uh, get hate from every side. You know what she's capable of, but she just won't do it. I know what you can be, Nikki, and I want people to see you how I see you. But don't just help yourself when you appear, but you don't help yourself when you appear wishy-washy on abortion and transgenderism in children. You have a successful track record, just like Ron DeSantis does. You started the campaign off strong, just like the Cowboys, but you're choking in the playoffs, Nikki. You had a decent showing in the Iowa caucus. New Hampshire and South Carolina are yours for the taking now that DeSantis is out. Just don't say anything stupid. Please don't disappoint me. I've been disappointed in you enough this year already. Wow, that's a over, that's a ring <laughs> yeah. endorsement there of Nikki Haley. <laughs> and, Jeez. And we all know who this is. There's somebody on our staff I that show up is, in yes. Nikki Haley t-shirts uh, all the time. Uh, that, that, that's not that's not necessarily a good endorsement. I but, will uh, say it is a bit extreme to call her a Democrat. I mean, she does have a good record. She was a good governor in South Carolina generally. Yeah. Uh, like again, I think she's out of step with certain things in the Republican electorate right now. Uh, yeah. As Pat yeah, will be right. happy to and outline, so uh, Pat Gray is with us, and he can li- outline every part of this. But like, probably to call her a Democrat is mm. just. Uh, you know, it's primary nonsense, right? Like, she's not a Democrat. She would be much better than Joe Biden. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, well, the problem is a lot of her support in New Hampshire are, is coming from Democrats. Yeah, no, it's true. And so... And, and a lot of her money, money is, is coming that's from That's the big yeah. thing. She, that's, the money yeah. is coming from her. From right, there. yeah. Right. Um, but uh, so but again, there's a, a, a big difference but, between... But, I mean, of Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, who would you have thought six months ago would be among the final two? Yeah. Oh my well, God. you know, it's if we really, honestly, if we really would have looked at it, we would have probably said that it would be Ron DeSantis yeah. down to those three. No, I'm sorry, Nikki Haley down to those three. If we had really thought about it, because the Ron DeSantis voter is really the Donald Trump voter. None of those people are going to go away from Donald Trump, I think. But I mean, um, this this whole thing, she's still around and she's in second place or whatever, is a little misleading. It's like, you know, J- John Kasich also, is, yeah. quote unquote, finished in second, right? right. Like, yeah, I right, mean, he right, didn't right, finish right, in second, right, but he right. was he hung around longer than Cruz well, did. Yeah, DeSantis beat her in Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Which supposedly punched his ticket to continue. Right, which you yeah. think. How, okay, well, did your, was your ticket revoked? It was revoked. Six I believe, days later? I believe the I answer to that was smart. it was revoked by his donors <laughs> is what it was. I, yeah. Yeah. The, the rumor I, I, was he was talking to his donors and his donors said, look, it's not going to happen and we're not going to keep funding this. And that's when yeah. this decision was made. And that's what's weird about Nikki Haley. The Democratic donors yeah. are like, yes, we'll mm-hmm. continue to fund you. That, that's the real problem with Nikki Haley, is the donors that are coming from the left. Yeah. Was it donors, or was there some kind of arrangement made with Trump, do you think? Is that possible, that, that Trump has Maybe, offered him but, a position, either vice president or some cabinet position, oh, if he no, gets no, out no, right no, now? No, 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 no. First of all, I don't think uh, Ron DeSantis would take the uh, vice president role. I'd love it if he did, but I don't I think would he too. would take it if it was offered. Should. Um, I think he should be offered and should accept the AG role right now. It's interesting. Maybe it's interesting. he's the attorney yeah. general. He'd clean up that mess. His <clears throat> yeah. background is law. He's really <clears throat> serious about it. He could really root out the deep state <clears throat> and do all the things that, uh, you know, the, the president, uh, you know, can't necessarily because he can't be involved with justice. 
Be interesting. There's a lot of candidates for that particular job too. I mean, Cruz would be great at that job. I mean, Cruz would be great, and you know he's become much Mike more. Mike Lee would be great. What Mike Lee would be Chris fantastic. Christie, who's been an attorney general. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wait, why didn't he talk I, about I that during the campaign? I think he mentioned it once. Oh, okay. But you have to listen really carefully. Really carefully. Really, <laughs> really carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah so who do you think he should pick for? Because he said he came out and he said. I I've already selected yeah. my running mate and people are not going to be that surprised by by my uh, selection. And he said, I don't think it's going to have, you know, that much an effect on the election. I think to me that signals Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Might yeah. be her. Uh, you, I've no, been, nobody would be surprised by no, that. That's true. And it won't really affect the election. I've and cut, that's, it's a woman. Mm -hmm. It's somebody who's loyal, somebody yep. that won't take the spotlight. We I did, mean, I, true. We did talk, talk about that little nugget in, uh, in an article about the vice presidency where it said uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the fact that she waited as long as she did to endorse Trump was, quote unquote, noticed in the inner circles <laughs> of Donald Trump. So who else could it be? Christy Nome. I think Christy Nome's a possibility. It's Possible. Because she's, look, the Christy Nome, as, as Donald Trump says often about candidates, right out of central casting, right? Like she's mm -hmm. an attractive candidate. She yep. she In know, more ways than one. Mm -hmm. um, she, uh, <laughs> Thank she, you, Pat. You're welcome. We didn't get, you're welcome. We didn't get that. No, we I just wanted that. to make sure that that yeah, was all right. reinforced. We, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, also, she's smart, and uh, and, mm -hmm. and the other thing is, and this is not is. A, not a, I don't mean this as a knock on Christy Nome, but the one thing you talk about her as a a candidate for the future or as a, a, her at the top of the ticket is she's kind of boring, like she is not mm -hmm. like a particularly like engaging. It's not gonna happen. She's smart but refined and yeah. and kind of like just yeah. lays things out, but she's not a. She's not a camera seeker. And that's when people talk about yeah. Vivek Ramaswamy for this role. Like, Vivek loves being in front of the camera, mm -hmm. loves fighting with everybody. And I don't, that's not usually the profile that Trump goes for in these yeah. positions. So I don't know. Maybe he will this time. The other person that he was doesn't, Hang on just a second. Yeah. He does not need somebody who <clears throat> has personal problems uh and uh and names to be dragged out just he doesn't need that i don't know i it's the type of thing that trump completely can overcome this is a criticism of no one but maybe made by some people but it's like i don't know i mean it kind of puts her in a position where certainly loyalty is more likely in a situation like that let me, let me put it that way um another person who i think if you take out the identity politics of this Mm -hmm. And you just say, forget, like, we always talk about not caring about skin color or gender, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you take all that out, you know, J.D. Vance is a really interesting candidate for that role. Oh. He's super smart. He can argue with anybody. He knows the media. Ohio. He's famous in his own right. Uh, it's a someone. Yeah. Some, I mean, I don't think Trump's going to have any trouble. People will be but. surprised. People would be surprised by that. You're right. I, I agree with you. You'd make a great candidate. But that would be a surprising candidate. Donald Trump said, you're not, people will not be that surprised when I announce, and it will never really, um, it, it, it will never have that big of an effect on who I choose. So mm -hmm. he's not going to choose a, a, a game changer, and he's going to choose somebody that everybody go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I don't think J.D. Vance is in that category. Yeah, Our friend Yaku Boyens is saying that he's hearing Ben Carson 
being mm-hmm. tossed around. I have heard that, that tossed around. Yeah, that, I don't like that. That would not be surprising. It would because it couldn't get anybody more quiet. But I or I, milk toast. I think it would, and yeah, I think it would be bad. Yeah, I do too. I do think I that think loyalty is going to be the number one thing he thinks about, right? Because he, mm-hmm. he yes. believes and he I think burned, Carson's but, would and, would fit that bill, right? I, I I would be anyone who you would say easy test. If you put that person in the same situation as Mike Pence, would they agree with Mike Pence or not? And if the answer is he, yes, they would agree with Mike Pence. I don't think there's any chance they get this job. Right. I, I, I just fundamentally, this is the the most like life changing moment in his political career. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe his entire right. life that he believes he was wronged. At. Again, putting aside whether he was wrong, but like you know, if he believes that, why would he choose someone who would go down that same road? And I feel like that's going to be his number one. He's going to say but, a lot of things, Glenn. I think it's tough to read the tea leaves with Donald Trump because he likes oh, the know, drama. He likes. I know. He's, I know. He, the reality show part of him loves him talking to one candidate. It's, and look, it looks like oh, I'm going to fire you, but then I'm going to fire you. Like he loves doing that, so it's hard. He to is know when him. he announces there will be music. He'll say, "And my selection is." <laughs> and then dun 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 bum 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 carrot top. Whoa! I did not see that coming. <laughs> he does like that drama he does he does like that drama so anytime he says something like it's you're not going to be surprised like who knows if he's trying to throw people off the scent True. whether he's even made the decision or not mm-hmm. i don't think you could trust anything he says to the media especially in these moments but when you look at trying to break it down you know i think a lot of these candidates do fall and i don't nikki haley to me doesn't make any sense none i don't see why he would do that uh, the only th- the some of the analysis I've read by people who are uh, you know on the inside of 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 the Trump world say the one thing he would do to choose someone like Haley would be if he was convinced it was the only chance he could win. Like yes, if he got yeah. to the point where he believed he was behind and he saw Haley as overwhelmingly popular and he thought it could bring him across the finish line, he'd pick anyone. She's not though. No, I don't think so either. No, and she would hurt the the diehard Trump supporter. They would be yeah. like, oh, "Come on, man, don't sell out." I well, I don't know who was. I was talking to Dave Marcus. Dave Marcus is the guy I do the show, Megan Kelly show with when I go on there, and and Dave brought up. A, a oh, it's point weird because I I do it with Megan Kelly. Oh, okay. I do it with Dave and Megan, and it's great. Oh, okay. And right. I'm not in the Radio Hall of Fame, and you bring that up, you know, twice right. a day, so I, I get it. Um, but uh, he brought up an interesting point, which is there's part of the Trump experience, which is like he doesn't care about that. He he, if he believes it's the right thing, he believes his voters will go along with it, right? Like yes. the whole famous thing about he's shoot, right about that. I'd shoot people on Fifth Avenue, and they'd st- I wouldn't lose any votes. He believes that, and he says, look, if if, if I think Nikki Haley's the right person, then get on board. Nikki yeah. Haley's the right person. And I think that's right. true if he makes that decision. But I don't think he'd make that decision for any other reason than he believed it was necessary to win. Which, it's, certainly right now, it's not. I mean, he's he's See, at that's his, one his of the best reasons, position in the polls he's been in in any of his presidential runs right now. That's one of the reasons why I like uh, Ramaswamy. Because there's a new poll out. I'll tell you about this new poll about Gen Z voters. And what they're saying right now, this is not good for President Joe Biden. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Alrighty. Uh, we have Carol Roth uh, on with us. So let me give some good news to this fantastic audience. Big news from Florida. The, uh, the law that we spoke about uh, the last time that um, Justin Haskins was in town in Dallas, 
We were talking to a Florida representative. Uh, it is working. More than 100 Florida banks, including some huge nationally chartered banks, have just signed an agreement with the state that they will not discriminate on the basis of customers' political views. This is one of the main reasons why we wanted this in the first place. You can see the uh, legislation. I'm going to tweet it out uh, here in just a minute or so. The legislation behind this is the same that we've been promoting since the Great Reset book was uh, released in January of 2022. Same uh, legislation that lawmakers learned about when they came to the summit that we hosted at Mercury One in Dallas and uh, it's the same one that I talked about when I was on the um, on the stage at the Pro Family Legislative Conference in November of 2023. This is a massive, massive win. Donald Trump has also formally committed on the campaign trail to stopping banks from discriminating on the basis of politics. The whole point of the bill that we were pushing in front uh, in uh, in Florida, if other states pass bills like the one in Florida, we will win and destroy ESG. We're getting an update. Hopefully, I'll have one by the end of the show on how many other states are taking this up. But Florida, again, is leading the way. Donald Trump says he is is uh, right with this. We need your state to follow Florida's lead. The banks are jumping off, and they are actually signing uh, uh, promises that they will not uh consider your politics when looking at loans or anything else. That is huge, Carol. Huge. That is, that is huge. And I want to point out, Glenn, this is the second grassroots win that we've heard about within the last seven days. And I am so proud of you and everyone in your audience who has been saying, I'm not sure that I can make a difference, but you know, I'm going to try. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to send some some comments in, whether it's to my state legislator uh, or representative or to my governor or whoever it is. We're seeing that when enough people stand up, they can make a difference. And that should inspire and fire everybody else yeah. up to continue this because it is working. And so the, I'm thrilled, by the way, that I get to say some participate in some good news on your program. I well. know, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, that's going to end soon. Your mood won't improve much. But, uh, but, but I do want to point out what you just said. Talk about what happened last week that was another massive win and it started with this audience it 100 percent started with this audience and it started with you and marlo oaks the treasurer yes. out of utah who Huge. brought to our brought to our attention these natural asset companies and the fact that the new york stock exchange had gone to the sec and said we want to list them we want to list these companies who can control and manage natural resources and we said no, this isn't going to happen. And so you brought this to everyone's attention. We came up with a template. People from this audience, hundreds of people from this audience came, emailed me personally for that template, sent it in. And there was so much pressure that the SEC didn't even get to rule. The New York Stock Exchange withdrew the rule because of the pressure from patriots, from this audience. It was an absolutely huge victory. So now we've got this, we've got the, the ESG, we've got the non discrimination. We have momentum. So certainly lots more work to be done, but everybody should take that moment to take a victory lap. It doesn't mean you have a party yeah. for the rest of the year, but for a quick moment to say, 
I made a difference if I participated. Big and difference. if you didn't do it the last time around, next time do it the around, next time. do it the next time because yep. the more people who do it, the more of a chance we have to make that difference. So uh, we're going to get into why this is so critical that you understand the power that you have uh, and really know it. Um, it's critical. Um, make sure you're listening next hour because I'm going to show you massive moves now being made uh, on uh, silencing voices like ours to alert people like you. So you may have to be the replacement vote uh, voice to encourage others. Um, it is the digital ghettos are being made right now, and they're going to start putting people behind those walls uh, soon. Okay, so Carol, um, let me explain the discount window and see if I have it right. Discount window at the Fed. Think of a bunch of windows at a bank where you walk up to windows. The discount window was where banks, uh, they, if they walked into the Fed, which is the bank of banks, okay? So all those windows, there's bankers at the windows, no people like you. And the discount window was the kind of shameful window at the end that everybody could see. And you could walk up to the discount window if your bank was in trouble and say, uh, I need to borrow some more money. Uh, I, I need it here because uh, we're getting a little dicey on our books. And all the bankers could look over to see who is in line at that discount window. And then they'd say, Bank of George is in trouble. Did you see that? George was just up there. The Bank of George is in real trouble. And so it was shameful and nobody wanted to go up to that discount window. After 2008, they took all that shame away, and now you can walk up and go, yeah, man, right? Are we all in trouble? You bet. Can you give me some more money? Do I have that right? A pretty similar, and it's an unfortunate name because the discount window does sound like a place at Nordstrom where you maybe get a discount on some good, good, right. good, good goods, right? But you know, you said it is sort of um, has a stigma attached to it because Correct. within the banking system, within the plumbing, as you noted, banks lend to each other on a regular basis, and if you are in good shape, um, you may go if you have a liquidity need overnight or for a short term, you may go to another bank and you may get a loan, and that's actually what the Fed funds rate sets that target Correct. rate of lending at that we hear. We hear, oh, you know, we're going to go up 50 basis points, we're going to go down. That's that interbank lending rate. The discount window, as you mentioned, is at the Fed. Funny enough, it's not even at a discount. It's actually at a premium to the right. Fed funds rate because banks who you know can't get the money elsewhere have to go to the Fed. We've heard the name uh, or the phrase, the Fed is the lender of last resort. And that's if you're in line at that discount window, it's because you've got nowhere else to go Correct. in order to get that money for your liquidity. So while that information isn't reported, um, uh, usually on a case-by-case -case basis for about two years, you don't know specifically, there's enough detail that participants in the market can infer who's right. going to those windows. And then also it's a very important market signal because in the aggregate, if we're seeing a lot of loans being taken down via the discount window, which is reported on a regular basis, we can infer that there's trouble in the banking system. Correct. So like we did last March when there was the banking crisis, you saw this huge spike in discount window usage. So I think that that kind of pieces the, the, this all together. Okay, so now what has the Fed done? 
<laughs> so there is a new rule that is being worked on. This had been rumored to be happening for a long time, and now it's finally come out. And it's between the Fed, the Treasury, and the, I believe it's the FDIC. And they are planning to say, well, because there's so much, uh, well, actually, they're not saying because, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So they're basically saying they're going to introduce a new rule that if you are a bank over a certain size, I think the $100 billion is the, the assumed uh, cutoff point, that we're going to force you to use the Fed discount window every year on uh, whether you need a loan, whether you don't need a loan, whether you could borrow from another bank, doesn't matter. We're going to make sure that you do it. And the Why? reason they think we're so stupid, they say, well, the reason we had this crisis in March wasn't because we had all of these underwater, uh, you know, securities on, on banks balance sheets. No, 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 that wasn't the issue. It was because they couldn't figure out how to use the discount window. So this will be like a dress oh rehearsal gosh. or a fire drill. So if you do it on a regular basis, now you know and we can avoid the other crisis, which is absolutely insane and if you believe that i have a bridge to sell you. that is like that is like the cops saying uh yeah well uh we we've got to fire our guns you know uh at people once in a while because otherwise if something happens we won't know how to fire guns at people i mean that's crazy of course they know how to use it that's their job to learn how to use it it seems right, to me they're forcing these banks to do it so we don't know who's in trouble anymore. Bingo. So there is this great newsletter called FX Hedge, and they brought this uh, out into the open and sort of surmised the different reasons why this was happening. Uh, and I'll add my own flavor in here, too. But like you said, the obvious reason is that they're trying to obfuscate the information and the signals. They're trying to hide what is going on in the banking system. So that that's the, the clear reason, the only reason why you would force everybody to do it. Because, of course, if you're part of the Fed system, you're going to know how to use the discount window, right? They're big, big, huge banks, and they can't figure out how to use the discount right. window. I mean, it's absolutely insane. But it also kind of, if you start going down the line, it means that they must think that there's some reason for them having to hide this information, which is the various issues and weakness that we have known for a while remains in the, uh, the banking system. On top of that, uh, this FX Hedge newsletter also talked about the idea of consolidation, something that you and I have mm. spoken about a lot within the banking system and centralization, that if the banks are no longer lending it to each other and they're now relying on the Fed, this is shifting the banking system away from you know more of a quasi-free market to a more Fed-controlled system, which we know is something that we have been concerned about with CBDC. And then, you know, a fourth reason could be these liquidity issues that we're seeing in the Treasury market and the need for the Fed to find ways to increase its balance sheet without calling it QE. So lots of possible different reasons, but certainly that first hallmark reason that they're trying to hide information and issues Jeez. within the banking system um, is, is just it's a not only a head scratcher, but it's a red neon sign. OK, so. Carol, there's there's also something going on that I don't understand, and that is we are now, I guess, the U.S. has proposed that we just take $300 billion of Russian assets, unfreeze them, and I guess, what, divvy them up to us? 
What, what is this? All right. So this is a proposal that is uh, expected to be put forward um, at the end of February. And it's something we need to keep our eyes on because in the context of the discussions we've been having about de-dollarization and the U.S. being the global reserve currency, it's very important. Uh, there are people like Larry Summers, who, as you may remember, was a former Treasury sec Secretary under Clinton. He was also Obama's um, director of the NEC. And so he's been working with, with some other economist folks in the G7, and they are exploring ways as a group to figure out how they can legally uh, take all of the assets, or at least $300 billion of the assets that they froze uh, back when Russia invaded Ukraine. You remember they did this, they weaponized the dollar, and it created all sorts of issues, and they had frozen those reserves so Russia couldn't access them. Well, now they're trying to justify legally that they have the ability to seize those fully. So not just freeze them. We went from freeze Make to seize. Ours. Take them. Wow. And what they want to do is they want to give them to Ukraine. They're going to compensate Ukraine in some oh way, gosh. shape, or form. I oh know it, total it totally doesn't sound like money laundering at all, Glenn. I'm not suggesting oh that. Um, but yeah, so they wanted to use this 300 billion dollars that belongs to Russia, seize it, quote unquote, legally. And so they have been in this working group and it's expected that at the end of February, I think that the date's February 24th, they're going to be in this group and that they are going to make this announcement. And if you go to, to Larry Summers' Twitter, you know, he's talking about, you know, oh, I'm so excited that the G7's on board with this and this is the moral and right thing to do. This is that I, I, you know, I can't, I can't even believe the that they're they're trying to position it this way because obviously when they took the step to freeze the reserve assets, this in terms of our position as the world reserve currency and the trust of the U.S. created all kinds of ripple effects. And now if you're somebody who buys food or energy that, that's priced in dollars, you're trying to find a workaround, which is why we're, we've been seeing this de-dollarization, why we've been seeing this trade going on from China and other countries in other currencies and in many cases settled with gold because of this. Now they're going to just say, we're going to take them and give them to whoever it is that we want. This is an epic disaster. It is a complete dereliction of duties. And somebody in Congress needs to get the, the Fed and the government under control because we cannot do this unless Glenn and we've talked about this before. This is an entirely intentional way to you know get the the dollar to continue to to topple and not beat the world's reserve currency. Let me ask you something um, on uh, Jamie Dimon. Last week he was at the World Economic Forum and Correct. he came out shockingly you know very praiseworthy of Trump, saying you know hey we should listen. He's right about a lot of things. Um, people didn't understand what he was doing. I saw this as a way of auditioning for Donald Trump to say, make me your Treasury Secretary. Does that sound right to you or plausible? 
I'm so glad that you said that because I had some people who went to the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, which is their marquee conference in January, and he gave a sort of internal speech there. Somebody asked him, said, Jamie, would you ever want to be president? And he said, well, I've seen these wonderful business people go in before and run campaigns and they haven't been successful. But, mm -hmm. you know, if somebody tapped me on the shoulder, then I would have to rise to the occasion. So he is putting the word out in his circle that he is interested in something much higher. So I'm with you, Glenn. There's something there. Yeah, something big. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Carol Roth, uh, the name of her book is You Will Own Nothing. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. So there is a new poll out that was conducted on behalf of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, which divided respondents between elites, people with at least one postgraduate degree, earning more than $150,000 and living in zip codes where the population density exceeds 10,000 people per square mile. And then they put everybody else in the general public, okay? So you had to have at least one postgraduate degree, $150,000 job plus, and live in a zip code that's high density, okay? Everybody else was not considered elite. They then recorded the responses of a subset of super elites and elites, now, the super elites were those who graduated from the prestigious private universities, the Ivy League, Duke, Stanford, Northwestern, and that made you a super elite. Wait until you hear what they found. It's not going to come as a surprise, but 73% of the upper class, the super elites uh, and the elites, consider themselves Democrats and approve of Joe Biden's performance at 84%. So 73% of the super elites and the elites are Democrats. And by 84%, that 73% loves Joe Biden's work. Now that's surface level. Listen to this. 74% of the elites and 88% of the super elites report their personal finances are on the upswing. Not a surprise, right? The bulk of those who remain say they're either unsure or they're getting neither better nor worse. Then there is just a negligible uh, portion of respondents that say their pocketbooks are getting lighter. Now that's all in the elites. Compare that to the Americans more generally, the rest of the people in the survey that don't fit into those categories I just explained. It's hard to believe they're living in the same country. We are becoming more and more divided in our country with everything, with absolutely everything. 40% of Americans say their financial situation is worsening and only 20% say it's improving. So those who are elites... They all say it's getting good. 88% say it's on the upswing. 20% of the regular people say it's improving. 40% say it's getting bad. Now, let's look into the rest. 
the class uh, disproportionately represented in positions of influence don't feel the same economic pain that Americans uh, do, the rest of us. Because, because of that, it makes them less likely to take steps that will alleviate your pain, but will actually make things worse. They're supporting Biden because they're getting richer. You're feeling pain. So the elites don't see this as really a problem because they're fine. A stunning 77% of elites and 89% of super elites support strict rationing of meat, gas, and electricity. Let me say that number again. 77% of elites and 89% of super elites support strict rationing of meat, gas, and electricity. 72% and 81% would ban gas-powered cars. 55% and 70% would prevent Americans from engaging in non-essential air travel. 47 and 55% believe the government affords Americans too much freedom. Holy cow. The rest of the uh, country doesn't feel that way. The, The percentage of those who are not elites or super elites that would agree to any of those things is between 16 and 25%. 70% of elites, double the number of average Americans, and 89% of super elites say they trust the government to do the right thing. This is not a war against Republicans and Democrats. This is the elites versus everybody else. They don't see the world the same way at all. And I know this to be true. When you live in, let's say, Manhattan, you're living in, if you're living, you know, anywhere near the park, you are not living with real people that understand and look at America the same way. The easiest way to say is New Jersey, which is just across the river, that's like hillbillies and hicks. They, they don't understand anything until they get to Los Angeles. They don't get it, and they put everything in one bucket. They don't get it, we get it, and the people in Los Angeles get it. The people on the coasts, everybody else is disposable. They don't add anything to our lives. What? We we can do whatever we want here. We have everything we want here. What else matters? I mean, God forbid we do anything to London or, or Paris except get rid of some of the riffraff because those are places we like to go to vacation at. This, these, this poll is absolutely stunning to me. So now, take what you know again. Let me just tell you again that they approve of Joe Biden by about 83%. Um, 83% are, are getting better in their, in their finances. Uh, they support by 77 and 89% of the super elites support the strict rationing of meat, gas, and electricity. 
81 would ban the use of gas-powered cars. 70% would would, uh, prevent Americans from engaging in non-essential air travel. And 55% believe the government affords Americans too much freedom. With that in mind, now let me tell you about Davos. Davos is putting together an exclusion list a list that they're creating to demonize sources of sharing so-called disinformation. Now, what exactly is disinformation? Well, disinformation is real. It is the the intent of the author to um, lie to a group of people to get them to believe something that isn't true. That's disinformation. It's intentional. Misinformation is not intentional, okay? But now they have exclusion lists to demonetize, which means getting rid of all advertising, uh, even banking access, anybody who is sharing so-called disinformation. The president and CEO of Internews, uh, Internews, uh, an international nonprofit that provides support to independent media outlets in more than 100 countries, addressing how to prevent the spread of what they consider inaccurate information. They talked and did a, um, a talk at the um, Davos conference panel, and the panel was called Defending Truth. Global trust in institutions is eroding, reflected in how 40% of people cons- consistently trust news empowering internet users with media information literacy, advancing in uh, information integrity, and enhancing transparency. It's vital for addressing the spread of false information. So the question was, what actions do stakeholders need to take to preserve a healthy trust uh, ecosystem? Now, remember, we're not talking shareholders anymore because that's you. We're talking stakeholders. Those are the elected officials, the CEO of companies, the boards of directors, and the politicians, the global elite. Oh, I I forgot. Also, the university systems. Those are the stakeholders. You don't have a vote. Your vote is when you pick one of these politicians. That's your voice. Now, they said the most effective way to keep people from being exposed to so-called inaccurate information is to develop a list or guides for advertisers that tell them where to and where not to spend. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Media Matters used to do this, and all of these lefty organizations, they do it because they threaten boycotts. They say, oh, if you're not with us, then you're against us. If you're with them, then you're our enemy. If you decide that their audience is worth your time and money, we know that those people are all deplorables. We know who they are, the unwashed masses. So if you want those people as customers, then we're against you. Now they are going to the global elites and the, and the governments And they are now saying to these stakeholders that you don't want to advertise there. The governments are giving people permission to be able to debank. 
So they put pressure on and say, you know, this is person spending a lot of time spend is saying things that just aren't true. Like, I don't know, the jabs may have not been the best of ideas. You can't bank with those. And if they go to the advertisers and say, you got to drop your commercials from that show, they'll be debanked if they don't. You see how this blackmail works? Now listen to this. Disinformation makes money, and we need to follow that money, and we need to work with, in particular, the global advertising community. Those dollars are going to pretty bad content, so you can work really hard on exclusion lists or inclusion lists, but just focus on their ad dollars going to good news and information, the accurate and relevant news and information. Here's what uh, Internews does. They train journalists and digital rights activists. Uh, they tackle disinformation and offer business expertise to help media outlets become financially sustainable. Look at the incentives. The organization aims to eliminate disinformation designed to manipulate elections, distort public debate, incite violence, or undermine public health. All of these things are good and noble causes. We just don't agree on what's true or not, what the public health is. I think by pointing out, hey, um, you know, the testing of that jab, it's not what they say it is. Hey, I think it actually came from a lab that we helped fund in China. I believe that's the truth. Asking questions only leads you closer to the truth. They think that's disinformation. This is a, they say, a national and global security threat this year because of the elections. You need to shore up your credibility with everybody you know. You need to get rid of all of the things in your life that you might have done wrong or are doing wrong. Get them out into the open. Clean them all up. Make amends where you can so you don't have anything to fear. Then you need to start speaking out, but you need to be well-researched. You're smart enough to figure things out. You don't immediately sign on to things that you're like, oh my gosh, here's the silver bullet, and it's exactly the answer I was looking for. Be cautious of those things. Do extra research. You know, the things I tell you, I always, I really want to be wrong. I really want to be wrong on these things. I hope that I am. But one thing that disinformation, uh, the real purveyors of dis disinformation do, will say, don't ask any questions. You can't ask that question. You just accept this. You should ask questions of not only people you agree with, but people you disagree with, you should ask questions to the deepest questions of yourself. Because if you stop asking and talking to people who differ with you, then you grow arrogant and you become just like those people. You become so arrogant. I have nothing to learn from you. You're just a moron. You're beneath me. Did you go to Harvard? I did. No, I didn't, and that's why I'm still asking questions. You should always ask questions, and people who tell you not to, just to trust them, run from them, and don't become like them.